Good afternoon, folks. Hope you're good. Hope you can hear me loud and clear. And this is where, as per usual, you've got to tell me whether you can or not, because I just end up getting paranoid for the first few minutes. So you've got to let me know whether you're getting me. This is my Friday, because lo and behold, I won't be doing a chewing it over in the midst of therapy life, right? That would be absolutely mental. It's already a bit crazy that we're doing a 100-session, 10-stream conference tomorrow, and that still scares the hell out of me, but I certainly won't be live streaming in the middle of it. So you've got to, uh, you've got to forgive me that. So this is my Friday, and what a show we've got for you. Uh, as you'll see in the titles, we've got a lovely blog response that was written uh, by a, a set of rehabilitators, a pair of uh, sports rehabilitators uh, to the blog we had on Chewing It Over from Uzo a couple of weeks ago. And so it's just this, this idea of what professions are well-placed to deliver quality exercise rehab and where the competencies, training provisions, that sort of stuff. It's just a really interesting conversation. You guys loved it with Uzo and this just adds so much uh, to that conversation and really helps us towards being better, more credible MSK industry to serve patients in the best way and who is best placed to do so, workforce planning, competency-based recruitment, you know, all my favorite topics and subjects. This just feeds perfectly into it, which is great. So I'm fortunate to have the authors of that piece, Chris Peel and Mike Caroline Auburn from Bazrat, which is the British Association of Sports Rehabilitators and Athletic Trainers, I think, or and trainers. I always get that wrong. Sorry about that, Ollie. You might disappear now from my, from my lobby. So hopefully he's still there. Um, thank you, those of you that are tuning in. It sounds like I'm getting through loud and clear, which is decent. And the best telltale of that means if it's working live, then Alistair Beverly will be promoting hashtag Team Public Health and his sessions tomorrow so yeah thank you very much Alistair and do join us at Therapy Live if you haven't already got your ticket if you're one of the three people in the country of course that haven't yet because we've got busy which is lovely right so without further ado let me click a few buttons and see if I can bring today's guests on let's uh let's get them going can you hear me fellas yeah got you good yeah, lovely. Clear. Yeah, fantastic clear, right. so what I want to do first is just quick intros from each of you um as well as then at the, the whoever's best place to answer the question of why did you feel compelled to write a response to this piece and we've just had a lovely chat off air about that so uh, shall we start with you first Chris if we could just introduce yourself Chris then Mike then Ollie because Ollie's a bit of a veteran of chewing it over so we don't need to hear much from him. Uh, so my name's Chris Peel I work underneath Mike at uh, University of Salford uh, as a teaching and learning fellow and I'm actually from a, an exercise background uh, I was um, involved as a, as a personal trainer before I was a clinician and uh, retrained later on uh, and joined Bajra following that retraining. So I have a, a master in sports medicine uh, and I'm dual accredited, I suppose, if you like, uh, with NSCACSCS. Brilliant. And Mike? Uh, hi guys. So I work on the sports rehab team at Salford, looking after all the kind of the exercise and conditioning modules, as well as teaching on kind of some of the third year stuff as well, supervising dissertations, etc. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm actually a, a little bit of a, a skill blended performance coach looking after track and field athletes mm -hmm. and then working for basketball and England and Great Britain basketball as well. Uh, so my background is, is kind of half sports rehab, half strength and conditioning. Um, but again, I've, I've kind of thrown in things like nutrition and athletics coaching in there as well. So, uh, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Fantastic. And, uh, and Ollie? Yeah, most of you already know me, guys. Uh, sports rehab clinician by background and, uh, and now policy bod for Badrat. Fantastic. So each of you got skin in this game for different reasons for the blog. But I think 
Am I right that uh, Mike? It's you. I need to come to 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 speak to that next point. Is what was it about Uzo's blog that moved you to to write a response as you have? I, th I think it was the the question posed uh, that really kind of interest it resonated with me because having having just, you know started out as an athletics coach as a kid and then you know came to the university to study study sports rehab. And I was in a lot of kind of therapy roles, in, you know, early on in my career. And I didn't really get into the exercise stuff until later. Uh, and it wasn't until I kind of started doing little bits in track and field with strength and conditioning that I started to find that that actually much of that stuff was, was where I wanted to go. But also the outcomes I was getting were really good. I then spent around four years working in the Ministry of Defence as an exercise rehab instructor, working alongside an RMO, so regimen. Uh, regimental medical officer as well as two physios nurses mental health nurses etc and and I looked after all the exercise so when this blog came out and the question was posed with regards to you know a, say a, a gap in the, someone's skill set and would strength and conditioning be appropriate for say a physio to do I, I kind of approached the team and said what you know why don't we propose it from a clinical kind of strength and conditioning perspective that there may be an, another route so it's not just about, from my point of view, practitioners, as in, you know, employ a sports rehabilitator instead of a physio, or maybe, you know, instead have a bit of a blended team where you've got a physio and an SR. Or if you can't afford that, train a physio in SR as well. So you've got that kind of that dual accreditation or vice versa. If you're a strength and conditioning coach and you're reading this article, but you want a, bit, a little bit more of a clinical skill set, you could do physio or you could do SR. And it's just to open that conversation and that, that was kind of the premise around it. Now, I want to get stuck into the education piece, which has ended up being quite a, a, a really interesting point because it's like the heart of the, of the blog and then there's the table and I know you've had some response and some controversy around that. So I'll be coming to you in a second, Chris. But I think, Ollie, we've spoken before on this show and elsewhere about the fact that one of the reasons why it ends up being a bit of a jump, and so people then say S&C and then if you want to go clinical physio, and it seems like a big jump, is in part because of accessibility of roles, which I know you work on an awful lot and make the case for the opening up. You you seem to be supportive of MSKR's work at the moment on competency-based recruitment and the language of MSK therapists and rehab centre practice. What Do you think that that is the reason why this conversation gets a bit stunted, where people make that jump to physio? Or is it is it purely just an awareness thing? And once people know of you guys, then actually they're really open to it. What's the story? Yeah, I think it's the latter point, Jack. Um in the wider context, you've got to remember that we're still a relatively new profession. We're only 21 years old, 22 years old. Um, and there's still plenty of people that haven't heard about us. Um, or even those that have necessarily aren't fully informed on our background and our, you know, our educational background, standards, etc. Um, and that's our job, to improve that awareness of, of what we do as a role. And again, that's, that's one of the reasons that we felt we needed to come back with the blog is... That, that's an exercise in raising awareness about what we do um, or particularly what people do can do at a graduate level. Um, mm, no, but as you say, you know, definitely an, an advocate of the competency-based recruitment and MSKR principles for sure. And, and that th this discussion just sits alongside it really. Um, mm, no, we're, we're, we're trying to highlight what the key strengths and competencies of a GSR are. Sure. sure. And so... Chris, if I can ask you, you're obviously working in working in education now, especially from that from that fitness and personal training background and things. As the 
skill set that Uzo was talking about and, and admitting two gaps in himself and his peers in physiotherapy, was it was them reading the original piece for you, uh, an exercise in recognising yourself and the things you teach in the gaps that he was mentioning? From my personal perspective, um, things happen for me fairly organically. So I was working um, as a personal trainer, had a, a successful business really, um, but I was getting a lot of people coming to me asking for me to help them because they've been injured and they've been referred. So organically, I ended up almost going down a rehab route where people were saying, I've had loads of treatment. I've been to see everybody under the sun who gives me treatment. And my friend says they came to you to exercise and it's made them feel much better. They're getting great results. I should try it. And it, it left me in an awkward position where I didn't feel that was particularly ideal from like an ethical perspective. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't like that. Essentially, if somebody comes through the door, we, we, yeah, we go through the proper process in terms of um, a referral process so that I'm not acting outside of my insurance and such like. You still end up in a situation where nobody gives you any real guidance. So you get basically a yes or no. Yes, they can exercise with you with the qualifications you have, or no, they can't. And if it's yes, they can, to a degree, you're then winging it from, a, from an exercise or performance background. So basically, just by being sensible, I, I developed this reputation. And then what do you do if you do something with somebody? They come through the door next week and go, after my last session, my knee actually swelled up a little bit. You go, oh, hmm. you can't do anything. And that's where the we're talking about the performance side of it and S&C coaches offering rehab. That's where they're at. And it's not that they're not very good at working on things that will actually improve somebody's physical capacity so that the sort of etiological factors um, are addressed. It's that if they have anything like that, they can't, they can't do any assessment and they can't do any diagnosis. So I, I identified I needed to address that and went and did that. And I would obviously encourage other people from a performance end of things to do the same. But that also kind of links up with, I, I was getting a lot of people coming to me because actually they'd got to a point where sort of therapeutic interventions had helped them, but they'd identified themselves, particularly active populations, they weren't moving forward anymore. And they were in a, a, a bit of a cycle where they get to a certain point and then they try to go back to where they were before training-wise or performance-wise and they'd have the same thing crop up again or something similar crop up again. Right. And how do they actually get past that? And what, what I kind of saw from uh, going through the, the upskilling process was that really in the private sector, rehab doesn't really exist. And, and in fairness, to a great extent, I don't think in the, in the NHS side of things, it, it does to the extent people think it, it does or think they should get. Right. So the, people are being either held at a point of being given therapeutic interventions or, or discharged at a point that, well, we've still got a big gap, a, a big gap before they're at the point they need to be to do what they want to do. And, and to me, that's, that's, that's what we do. We bridge that gap. And the article was all about that, saying, okay, this is actually what this whole program is aimed at. And it was identified by the people who founded the program that their skill set that they had at the time as physios didn't get them all the way up to handing them back over to the the, the, the sport coaches performance or the performance yeah, staff. Performance there was this gap. Did it ever, when you read Uzo's blog, Chris, did it surprise you at all? Or are you just au fait with physios position and scope, etc.? Was there anything about it that, that was any news to you? To be fair, what surprised me most, uh, and I, as we said in the blog, I applaud it, is that he was so open and honest about do you know what? I'm not 
going to hide from this, I'm aware that there is a, a deficit there. I think we talked about potentially a bit of a negative reaction from some people, particularly focused around the table and oversimplifying tick box and this, that, and the other. That I feel like is often people looking at it and taking the attitude that it's like the Sarah cycle, isn't it? The shock, the anger, the realization thing. That their initial thing is just shock. <gasps> Someone's questioned that I'm going to be able to do something. And then instead of going, I wonder if I could do it better. I wonder if, if it would be better for my athletes, better for my clients, if I did do some upskilling. I wonder. They're too busy. They've already gone down the rabbit hole. They're already trying to criticize. Feel, well, what they, they, feel, they, do, they do feel they do feel threatened, and also they they don't they don't read the detail in order to understand the nuance that's there in both pieces. Um, and so I want to just, unfortunately, to our live audience, we're, we had a glitch like this yesterday with Joe Turner. The chat is glitching a little bit. So if you've posted comments, you need to try. If you don't mind, just reposting them, um, then that'd be great. I want to ask you, as an audience, uh, if you can, to, to participate by us answering this question. The same I just posed to Chris. Did the blog of Uzo's and then the response, did anything surprise you? Are you aware, do you feel competent in understanding the differences in scope as well as learning and education that each of the different professions have? Um, and that's, you know, obviously some of you might not have read it yet. I've posted the link in the chat, but I definitely would be interested as to whether or not you feel you're in touch with contemporary syllabus and delivery, uh, as well as the scope of practice of the professions then as graduates. So please do get in touch to let us know what your thoughts in that direction. But I know there is a bit of a tech bug that means that unfortunately it does uh, seem to be rejecting some of your comments. Um, but Mike, I want to ask then, Tell us about that controversy that might have been caused or some of the reactions um, that, that, to, the, to the blog response. Well, I think when, when we look at the fact that we, we are all kind of mandated to be evidence-based practitioners, and with that in mind, if, the, if there is a concept that's being put out there, the best thing to do is, is read around that concept and then, and then offer an opinion or offer an insight. What many people did, because the, the table A typically came up with the title, um, or was shared and was easy to snapshot. People would look at the table, then look at the fact that our kind of primary roles, mine, Chris's, and Evie's, and Steve Aspinall's, is teaching at the University of Salford on a sports rehab degree. They jumped to a conclusion that we've we basically sat there and slated a another profession. And and Just to we're be kind clear of like on context then for those that haven't seen it. This is a table of three columns in which it then details a set of. Um, what would you call them? Um, well, it's it, the first one is undergraduate training um, with regards to kind of the curriculums. And, and it's atypical curricul curriculums because there's something like 110 courses across the UK in physiotherapy. So there are going to be some discrepancies. So with that in mind, you know, a lot of people have come on and said, I feel and or I feel disgruntled and I'm not happy. And and then when I've tried to engage with them on social media, they've said, actually, I've not read the blog. I've just looked at the table. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's out of context. If you, and the easiest way to describe that is if you take, say, one of the, the YLM sports science um, infographics and, you know, you just use the information from the infographic and don't read the study, you might miss something that's inferred within the study that isn't covered in the infographic. Yeah. And that's what was happening. People would jump into conclusions and challenging us on why there was a ticks in one box and not in the other. And the idea was was to show the comparative differences and depth and breadth because physiotherapy covers many, many aspects of clinical care, okay? But we're specifically replying to Uzo's post about exercise rehabilitation, which is a very, very specific area. Yeah. So, so the point was is that if there's a discrepancy, this is the discrepancy because even between 
um, strength and conditioning and, and clinical practices such as physio and sports rehab, there are also some discrepancies. And, you know, that kind of leads back into Chris's point earlier. So people were, were quite reactionary without understanding the context, even, even to the point where, and we talked about this offline with regards to either having an MDT, and I don't like the word MDT because MDT means you send them to someone else, you work in the same team, but you don't interwork. So I, I prefer the term interdisciplinary, where you actually work alongside each other and, and there is a skill blend as well. Um, and there's, a, there's really good examples of this, either in the Ministry of Defence with physio, RMO, ERI, uh, PT or physical trainer, mm. all working in unison. There are really good examples in professional sports in the Premier League, for instance, where you know there's a doctor I know who hires other doctors if they're competent in the gym, doing massage and and kind of having a bit of a skill blend, even though their primary role is a doctor. So with that in mind, that's I try to engage people with that to say we're not saying physiotherapy is is rubbish. We're not doing that at all because I would be disrespecting some of the people that came before me like Julian who I mentioned who we mentioned in the article and you know a couple of my mentors that taught me on, on a rehab degree and there are several physios that have taught on rehab degrees as well which so the article would be disrespectful if we were saying they weren't capable the point is is that when someone comes out of university and they maybe have you know they're going down the rabbit hole of exercise rehab and it's like say a year or two in they might be identifying that actually their skill set in that area needs to develop and everybody has to do CPD. So what we're talking about is an opportunity to upskill. Of course. And that's literally it. I think, I think yeah, a lot of people physio, totally raised the question. Oh, sorry. So a physio saying, uh, go on, I wish a physio almost saying, it's a real shame this doesn't exist because, you know, I think we need to be better in terms of um, exercise-based uh, rehab. Um, so as a result, I'm off doing this, but actually it doesn't really fit. I wish this thing existed that fits. And all we're saying is, hi, it does. Hi, yeah, um, it. have a look at this if you're interested. And for those people who are, who are open-minded and positive and looking to self-improve, that's fantastic. Uh, and that's what, that's what we're looking at really. Conte and contextually, as someone, that, as someone that, you know, I've, I've made a living out of arguing on the internet about this stuff. So I'm, I'm certainly not opposed to the fact that that happens and people jump to conclusions and I don't mind it because we get to do shows like this about it. However, it was a bit amusing though, that people, people were as, it was as if the context that they were trying to respond to was as if you'd done that from a standing start. Right. And therefore there needs to be far more nuance on this, please. And it's like, well, no, you clearly need to refer to the original post of which this is a response to and a really appropriately polite one. I think that if anything, um, you know, I was, I, I was reading it and I was delighted, of course, to, to see it, uh, it with the tone and tenor that it had um, rather than it being, you know, it would have been petty, I think, to have made the, you know, it's a telling omission that you've not mentioned us. It didn't come at it from that angle. Instead, it was more we agree for these reasons and let's yeah, yeah. move the conversation along, which I, th I think was a lovely tone. Ollie, I just want to bring you in because Kelly Clinton's made a really lovely point here on the chat. Thanks, Kelly, for persisting, trying to get that through, about protectionism over title and scope of practice and the, and the honest conversation being lacking. Do you, do you agree with that as being a force in this, in this, that's at play? Potentially, I think, for some people. Um you, you know, you're, I mean, you're, being, you're being too diplomatic there, though, aren't you? Yeah, for some, pe for some people, for a lot so of my, people, my I'm stance not saying the majority, my, but it's not a few, is it? We've, we've discussed protectionism quite a bit, haven't we? And I, I know my stance and Basrat's stance on 
protectionism is, um, and I know I know physiotherapy colleagues share this. It mm. came up yesterday with the, the stuff from the RCN, sure. uh, and, and AHPs going into nursing roles. Um, there's no need to be protectionist because there's plenty of work to go around. There's a massive workforce shortage. There's plenty of patients to be seen, and the most competent people to see those patients are the ones that should see those patients. Having said that. I also fully believe there's absolutely no problem whatsoever of being proud of your background and being proud of your profession, which is something that physiotherapists are very good at um, and have, have historically been very good at and are always very vocal about. Um, I don't think that anybody else should be chastised for doing the same, whether they're an osteo, a chiro, a sports therapist or a graduate sports rehabber. Um, so I, I think sometimes being proud of your profession and being protectionist can become uh, kind of crossed wires a little bit. Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I can't help, but especially because this show, we do dabble with this now and again, and I, don't worry, gents, I'm not going to drag you there, but it's like, where does patriotism start and nationalism, uh, where does patriotism finish and nationalism start, right? So a, we know that that's the challenge. There's a need to protect standards. Sure, need to protect standards and this is, I'm incredibly proud of any sports rehabbing because I spent a lot of money and a lot of effort when I could have stuck my head in the sand and said, no, no, I don't need to do any of that. I'm good enough as I am. Look how busy I am. Look how much money I'm making. But it wasn't the right thing to do. So it isn't what I did. But uh, there are certainly people from, you know, personal training is a, a perfect example. Um, without getting into it too much, um, some of the soft tissue therapy stuff, similar situation, where there's such a range of standards and they haven't protected standards within their own uh, industry, that the better ones are saying, no, we want to be seen on the same level as all of these other professions. And, and it can't happen. And it can't happen because, unfortunately, you can't unring that bell. So those professions, and I think physio are right for doing this, who have al always had high entry standards, should be protective of that. Absolutely. But then I think Bajrat's in the same situation. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ollie, but there's a an extremely high standard for undergraduate entry across the board for bachelor accredited programs. So yeah. we haven't got any low standards. And, and entry to the register. Mm. So we don't Which have is, any low standards. As you know, about to get more difficult with the um, certification exam. So, you know, physiotherapy doesn't need to be threatened by um, Bajra and, and GSRs, but that is going to drag down standards and that is going to dilute standards. And as always says, there's loads of work to be done. I think that's an important distinction to make. And that's what we should all be trying to do is to, to drive up standards and drive up the, uh, the athlete experience, the mm. patient experience, the client experience, whichever terminology you want to use. Chris is, Chris is spot on there, actually. And um, the, the protectionism kind of argument, debate, whatever you want to call it, almost kind of forgets that when we're not, in this for ourselves or we shouldn't be in this for ourselves if, if you know if you're in any of these professions for yourself then you're in the wrong profession um we're in it for patients so actually you know the, the protectionism thing can only go so far um when you go back to competencies and, and what's best for the patient yeah that's why standards are important because we are working with patients and we're having an impact on their lives but who's treating them you know shouldn't really matter just because it's the most polite thing that's ever happened on this show i'm going to bring chris in because he just put his hand up <laughs> i just want to say i hate i hate the term patient i think it keeps people feeling like they're broken and it stops us actually rehabbing him so mine aren't patients mine are athletes no matter who you are you're an athlete yeah i quite, I quite like that i think that though to some extent i think that's what's interesting from a physio 
being my being my background, you do use the language of patient, and I know that that does sometimes hold them back in your context. But then fundamentally, client and service user and stuff like that just gets cringe to me. So uh, I, I will have to agree to disagree on some of it. Uh, Matt Scarsbridge made a point here about soft tissue therapy having at least twelve professional associations, two voluntary registers, and what the hell are standards? Ollie, you guys seem to have had that from both sides then you've witnessed you've witnessed variation both clinically and in in, in educational delivery within say physiotherapy of which is mm-hmm. technically a highly regulated profession of of sort of legacy credibility and, and some social cut through and, and a size and scale that's relevant there and and a, and, a, yeah. and, a, and a great legacy too as well i'm not saying that dismissively i just mean in an msk tone context i'm on record having a few grabs in that direction right but then on the other side of it with regards to the uh, soft tissue therapies and 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 non-graduate sports therapy side where it gets it gets messy because it kind of is is drawn so thin you seem to be trying to correct for both of those things simultaneously by then setting an appropriately high bar, but not arbitrarily. Is that, is that kind of, am I understanding that right as Bazarat's position? Yeah, we, you know, we set a bar, we're clear on our standards. Um, we're clear on what it means to be on our register. Um, and then we also are an accredited register. So there's independent oversight that, the standards that we say we're upholding, we are actually upholding. Right. And Mike, that, as an educationalist, just uh, could you speak to how you how you adhere to that when then bringing people through, and how, how do you aspire people to care about that quality so that they don't feel like they're just being henpecked on on things that they would argue might be arbitrary sometimes. Well, I mean, I'm an admissions tutor for the degree at Salford as well, so mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of kind of front facing work with applicants and. You know, I see a lot of applicants that, are, you know, are try, uh, that want to do this. And, and the main thing I look for at the moment is passion and interest. And, and we've even taken on some personal trainers through the APEL process that have done amazing well in first year. And, and really and truly, like the, the grades and prerequisites are a part of that process. But we also want to know, you know, what the career goal is. And, and it's one of the key questions I ask in interviews is, well, you know, what's your what's your end goal? Where do you see yourself in 10 to 15 years? And, you know, how are we going to help you get there as well? So, and w- with regards to kind of curriculum, we, be, with Alan Monroe and other guys at Salford and throughout Basra as well, what we're trying to do is constantly improve those standards as well, based on, you know, current, current evidence, but also what's happening within the workforce and the demand from, like you say, the users at the end stage as well. So COVID's one big example of that. And, you know, Ollie and Steve and the guys at Basrats have obviously done, you know, a great deal of work around, you know, can we help on that front? And that's the thing. I think one thing people, again, missed the boat on was we're here to help, whether it is through an educational standpoint to help people upskill or whether it is to add to the workforce. And, you know, one comment was made something along the lines of, you know, well, we're better at diagnosis. It isn't about necessarily diagnosis. And I'm not saying that's not important. What we're talking about is post-diagnosis. It wasn't the vlog either, right? That's not what you were responding to. So it's petty. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've, I've said so many times, did you read the blog? Did you read the article? And many people actually said, no, I just looked at the table. Well, read the article, then let's have a chat because then you'll understand that we're not here to say you are any better than anybody else. But what's really interesting is about 80 years ago, there used to be gymnastic remedial instructors. Physiotherapy amalgamated them into their profession because they saw the benefit of that. So the same way here, physiotherapists saw that they needed a different profession or a different skill set. They founded Sports Rehab. So there's, there's always a progression and a kind of a, a legacy to this. Yeah, so we're evol- not here evolution. to take jobs. 
Yeah. And we're not here to take jobs. We're here to help. That's that's no. the bottom line. That's right. And fundamentally, an incredibly, incredibly positive and inclusive organisation if you meet standards. I thought I would be treated strangely and like a ginger stepchild because of an alternative background. And I couldn't say that it couldn't have been any more different to that. Everyone really interested in what your background is and what you can offer because of that different experience and different entry into the profession. Um, you know, my background in terms of private practice, I don't know many other people who could say they've worked with four different deadlift world record holders. So I work with people who are like big, strong meatheads. Right. Yet through Basrat, at the start of the COVID crisis, I was working in a residential nursing home providing NHS support because that's what we did. We provided support. And, you know, it actually, it's the same exercise-based uh, rehab skills that you use to make somebody stronger, whether it's false prevention or whether you're working with the strongest people on the planet. And uh, I think that's, that's what Mike's saying. We, we, we can add to the workforce, and obviously all he's saying, we can add to the workforce, we can add to it with people who are meeting very high standards, comparable standards. And more to the point, would welcome other people to come and be dual registered if they have the appropriate skill set. And would, would invite people to sort of come together and go, yeah, let's let's get on board and go, yeah, this is a gold standard for you know the exercise rehab speciality. Because I think cognitive that, diversity. Sorry, say again, Mike. Cognitive diversity is what we said. Yeah, it's, it's cognitive. It's the goal is cognitive diversity in discourse, and you know, addressing skill set skill set deficits rather than just have a one size fits all. You know, if if you know, if you've got a hammer in your toolbox and that's it, and that's the danger. Anybody can go down that rabbit hole. So it's it's offering a range of skill sets, but a high level of skill sets as well. So I'm conscious of time, and it's amazing. I mean, we could continue on this in this direction. So it just gives a snapshot. But thank you for uh, writing it. Thank you for being answerable and accountable to it, both on social media and here. Uh, the conversation goes on, of course, and that was one of the things that was beautiful about the piece is it was clearly part of a wider conversation, inviting further dialogue rather than a response or rebuttal, uh, uh, an opposing debate position. But also, uh, it's you know, declared and I'm known to be both a Basrat fan and a, and a sports rehab fan, just to leave it with this and, and potentially invite further conversation both on and off air about this is that for someone that, granted, I've got a few bits on at the moment, but I'm someone that would be perfectly primed and many of my team being primed to become one of those dual registered therapists that then go into and, and, and would benefit greatly knowing the syllabus as I do more in, with my policy hat on. However, because of the way in which that doesn't necessarily unlock overt doors, it does intellectually, it does academically, of course, but because of the workforce and policy piece and the fact that people then think, sod it, I'll scratch around doing kind of un unaccredited CPD, I will instill just bolster my skill set and protect some of my time and stuff, and therefore they don't necessarily go into that formal training as much. I think that that's one of the things I want to try and work out and understand better myself um, as to how we can encourage that and see... And, and shine a light on some of those examples you've said of it done really well. You know, I accept that they're going to be out there and maybe we can bring them to the fore. So I'm sorry we've run out of time. I'm just leaving that out there for, for maybe to try and bait you guys back. Really appreciate what you've done. 100%. And uh, I hope it, hope you have a great weekend. Cheers, Jack. Good luck for Therapy Live, mate. I hope yeah. it goes well. Thanks a lot. Thank really you for having us. Look, mate. Look forward to involving you all, no doubt, in the future. Now Thanks for having us on. All right. Take care. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.